You're listening to CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. You're listening to The Self-Advocate with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Facebook at Allison Mira Klein and on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. On this episode, we're going to be talking about two really interesting, really important international days of disability. The first one is going to be about the World Diabetes Day, which is November 14th. And then I'm also going to talk about later on about the Indigenous Day and Indigenous Months of Awareness for Disability. But first, let's put on our intro theme song. Our intro theme song is going to be a little bit different today in honor of both International Days for Disabilities. So my first song will be uh, Sometimes When We Touch by Dan Hill. And Dan lives with diabetes. Go check him out. And I choke on my reply I'd rather hurt you honestly Than mislead you with a lie And who am I to judge you And what you say or do I'm only just beginning To see the real Sometimes when we touch, the honest is too much, and I have to close my eyes and hide. I want to hold you till I die, till we both break down and cry. I want to hold you till the fear in me subsides. Romance and all its strategy Leaves me battling with my pride But through the insecurity Some tenderness survives I'm just another writer Still trapped within my truth A hesitant prize fighter Still trapped within my youth Sometimes when we touch The honesty's too much And I have to close my eyes And hide I want to hold you till I die Till we both break down and cry I want to hold you till the fear in me subsides. At times. 
heard is Sometimes When We Touch by Dan Hill. Dan Hill is a comedian from Toronto and he lives with diabetes. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host Alison Klein. You can find me on Facebook at Allison Mira Klein and on Twitter and Instagram at Allison Mira. So this episode, I'm going to talk about the World Diabetes Day, which is November 14th every year, and about the Indigenous Disability Awareness Month, which is all of November. But first, I'm going to be talking with Laura Siren, who is the CEO of Diabetes Canada, about World Diabetes Day. Thank you so much, Laura, for talking with me today. Thank you for having me, Alison. It's my pleasure to be here. First off, why is World Diabetes Day so important? Why should we care? Why, why is it so important to know about this? Yeah, it's a great question because I know there seems to be a day for everything. But the, the reason that World Diabetes Day is so important is because diabetes is such um, a significant disease in terms of how many people have it, Allison, but also how it impacts your life. So just to give your listeners a sense, in Canada alone, there's 11 and a half million Canadians who either live with diabetes or are at high risk of it. And around the world, if you can believe it, there are 460 million people living with diabetes. So World Diabetes Day is so important to call attention. It was actually only started back in 1991 because internationally diabetes rates started to really uh, ramp up and people started realizing that there, there needed to be a mechanism and hence the day was born where the global focus could come on on this disease that was um, just uh, increasing at some um, significant rates. And so, and November 14th is picked um, because actually it's the birthday of Sir Frederick Banting. And as most 
proud Canadians know, he was the Canadian scientist who had the idea for insulin and worked with a team to actually make it real. So it made sense to pick November 14th, his birthday, as the day to make it World Diabetes Day. That is so important. I didn't know that 11 million Canadians either have diabetes or at risk of getting diabetes. That's a large number of Canadians. Yeah, right now it's one in three. And uh, if we don't do anything about it, Allison, over the next 30 years, that will go to one in two who either have it. And I count myself among that. I live with type two diabetes or are at high risk of it. So one in two in a couple decades, that's pretty um pretty sobering stat to think about and why it's important to think about well what can we do about it so everybody is touched by diabetes even if the stats of one in three everyone knows of someone who has has the disease i know in my family my one of my uncles has type two Mm -hmm. and one of my brothers has type one wow yes and and not everybody actually thinks they know somebody because one of the side effects and I don't know if this is true for your uncle or or um, your brother but one of the one of the things that comes along with it sometimes is some stigma around diabetes and some shame and some guilt um, particularly around type 2 diabetes and so often people don't disclose to family and friends. So you might hear the stat one and three and think there's no way I, I don't know anyone. And you'd be surprised actually, if you start asking people, you know, your friends or your coworkers, um, you know, do you know someone with diabetes? You'd be actually surprised how many people say, well, actually, yes, my mom has it. Or actually, yes, like you just said, someone in my family does. But it's not something we talk about as Canadians uh, very easily. And that's something also we want to change. That's a very big thing. And to be able to slay stigma, to be able to talk about this, I also think that if we are able to talk about this, we can be healthier. And even if we have diabetes or at risk or know somebody, at least the person is healthier because they're able to if something happens to them, there are people around them that who care, who can actually take care of them. Absolutely. You're, you're right on, Allison. And the, actually, the science would back you up that the more someone who lives with diabetes knows about their disease and knows to how to live well with their disease and manage their disease, actually, the better their quality of life. That's actually true. And so if you're ashamed of it, or if you don't feel supported by family or where you work, if you feel discriminated against, you'll actually have worse outcomes. Um, and so it's exactly what you're saying, Allison. The we need to um, change the conversation. That's what we're calling it at Diabetes Canada. We we have a a new focus area calling change the conversation, just like we've been doing in Canada around mental health over the past sort of decade and a half like the conversation changed back in the 80s and 90s around HIV and AIDS, we we need to sort of, as you said, slay those stigmas and say, if you have diabetes, um, you know, it's okay to talk about you didn't bring it on yourself. It's not something um, that you did and you deserve. There's lots of language out there. It's, it's really about the more you understand, the more people feel that they can um, 
talk to people about diabetes, they will be more compliant with their medication. They will more likely to seek exercise, to eat healthier. They will have more social supports. All the things they, they will talk to their doctor if they feel like they've fallen off the wagon and they're eating too much sugar or not following. Often they'll actually withhold even from their doctor because they feel guilty that they're not following. But the more you can say, you know, this is what happened. You know, I, I, I feel like my blood sugars are going in the wrong direction, but can we work on it together? You might have a dietitian partner. You might have a nurse, depends on where you live. If you're an indigenous person, you're very highly likely to have diabetes. And the more you can find culturally appropriate supports and other people to talk to, you literally will live better. And when you live better with your diabetes, all the consequences that again, Canadians don't always know about the consequences. Uh, I don't know if you know, Alison, but in Canada, 40% of heart attacks are as a result of diabetes. 30% of strokes in this country are a result of diabetes. Diabetes is the number one cause of kidney failure and leg amputations. And the most profound kind of blindness you can have comes from diabetes, um, if unmanaged diabetes. And if you have uh, blindness from diabetes, it's, it's the most profound. So there's all these consequences. And again, I'm not saying that to scare people. What I'm saying is the more people feel comfortable talking about their disease and then taking the measures, whether it's um, if you have type one, you know, you're managing your calorie counts all the time, you're managing your exercise. If you have type two, you know, you're staying compliant. Like if you're on, um, you know, a healthy eating and physical regimen, if you're on medication, etc. If you're joining support groups that are out there, all of these things that you can do makes you live better with diabetes. And all those complications I mentioned, you, you, you don't necessarily have to have them. You know, you, you can live well with diabetes. So it's just really important that that shows like yours, Allison, are really sort of slaying that stigma, but also talking about that disease because, you know, that's almost half a billion adults on this planet living with yeah. it. So we need to understand more about it because you can imagine all those consequences, the heart attacks, the strokes, the kidney failures. Think of the burden that puts on the healthcare system. And if we can get people to be healthier, a, so they never have that, so that they live much happier, healthier lives, but also so that we're, we're not um, seeing those terrible consequences that we know can be prevented if we can get people better care at the time that they need it. Yes. And you mentioned about talk, being able to talk to your nurse and not feeling ashamed to be able to talk to your nurse or your doctor or your dietitian medical professional about this funny enough my mom is also a nurse mm. and she was and a diabetes educator oh wow so she's been on both sides of the spectrum yes. taking care of my brother as a patient and then turning around and helping others with who also live with diabetes to take care of themselves and she also says you're not a good diabetic or a bad diabetic you have diabetes exactly we exactly do, and you didn't bring it on to yourself it just happens exactly and and as she said and she sounds very wise your mother you know you are not your disease you are a person 
and you live with a disease. And in fact, that's why at Diabetes Canada, we don't call people living with diabetes patients because many people who live with diabetes, they want to think of themselves, including myself as someone who lives with it. I don't want the disease to define me. I don't, I don't want to be only the disease. It, it is a chronic disease. I will have it for the rest of my life. It's something that I have to think about 24 seven, you know, your blood sugars are a key way of, you know, basically keeping you alive. So it's something that's always in my mind, but I don't want it to be the whole of me. And so your, your mom's exactly right. And when I first got diagnosed, I also didn't, really struggled with, well, what did I do? I, it doesn't run in my family. And um, I didn't understand why this was all happening and what I should do. And it's also a heart disease too, Allison, because, and I'm sure you've seen this with your mom and your brother and your uncle, um, it, there's not a, an immediate, like if your blood sugars go up a bit, um, you're, you're hurting your system down the line. And so it, there's not an immediate connection. And so, you know, the idea, well, I'll cheat a little bit or I won't go for my walk today. You have to really, when you live with diabetes, you have to always be thinking of the long-term gain, even in the short term, <laughs> if that makes any sense, right? And, and that's not how human beings are wired, right? So, right. Um, you, you know, it's it's like they always say, if you're at, you know, at the bottom, it, you're at a subway platform and you come to, and there's stairs on the left side and escalator on the right side, your human brain is escalator easier, escalator pleasure, stairs pain. And as a person with diabetes, you're like, it's better if I do the left side, I get more exercise but you're actually fighting against your natural instincts. And that's just not true for diabetes, right? To be healthy, to have your heart health and all that kind of stuff. But it's not intuitive and you have to work hard. And it's really important that your healthcare provider, whether it's your nurse or your doctor or whoever it is, is on that journey with you and acknowledges that it's not, um, it's not easy. And it's not just people sort of think, well, you take your medication and you're the same as everyone else. No, no, you're not. Like you're, you're constantly thinking about your blood sugars and calories in, calories out and all that kind of business. So it's, you know, it's constantly on your mind. Yes, that's what uh, my mom says as well. It's, and uh, the diabetes distress because of that. Yes. So mental distress because it's always on your mind. But to try to get out of that, that constant worry, that constant thinking what my mom did was in her office was do a walking group with mm. all of her patients and anybody else who wanted to join which meant that it was a social thing it was a social event and it really helped reduce the stress yes yes that sense of connection is something we hear from people who live with diabetes also you know obviously for children diagnosed with diabetes we hear from their parents that when my child met other children with diabetes, they didn't feel so alone. They didn't feel so different. There's that connection. There's that social. One of the programs that we run at Diabetes Canada is we run each year. We've been doing it virtually during COVID, but we actually run camp programs across the country for kids living with diabetes. And over and over again, we hear that um, there's just so many benefits 
just like your mom's walking group is first of all, they learn a lot. I mean, they're having fun at the camp and they're canoeing and doing all that fun stuff, but they're also, there's classes on healthy eating. There's classes on monitoring your blood sugar and insulin. They're, they're with other children who are having to monitor their insulin and, you know, either on a pump or giving themselves shots. So what we hear often is I, the language I hear most is it, it was almost my magic place. It's where I yeah. felt I could be most myself and, and just feel accepted. I could learn. I could feel when I left that I was more empowered. And these are, you know, kids that, you know, are 10 and to 16, but, you know, using words, like I just, I felt like I was more in control when I came out. I learned a lot more about how to manage my disease. So that connection is I would say equally as important as the physical management, that sense of, you know, I, I can still have a normal social life. I can still connect with people. I don't have to feel isolated. And we are hearing that more, Allison, unfortunately, because of COVID, of course, everyone's feeling more isolated, but people with diabetes who weren't able to get to their doctor for their blood pressure checks, their eye checks, their foot care checks to make sure they don't have ulcers, these kinds of things, um, we, we have a 1-800 line where people with diabetes can call in and, um, and there was a real sense of just feeling social isolation. And so um, we, again, for our, our kids and their parents did a number of online groups. We started an online peer support group for parents. There's a number of really good Facebook uh, groups out there, but that sense of coming together and not being by yourself um, and not just with your healthcare provider, but with other people who get it is really important. And even more so during COVID, as I think we're all learning, right? Everybody yes. is. Yeah. Everybody is, especially over Zoom, because it's so much easier to be able to be on Zoom and connect with your health, not only your healthcare provider, but also with others who are in the same province, but live so far away. Exactly. Exactly so important for their mental for everybody's mental health absolutely but, and you know with the, your healthcare practitioner for your physical health too you know because if if you haven't had a chance to go in and get your blood pressure checked if you haven't gone in and got your blood work for what your a1c level is or had your eyes checked you know for um diabetic retinopathy which is what the eye disease is you know, people could be getting worse. And again, they, their doctor can't see that they're not there. Now we are starting to see across the country and, you know, knock on wood, it keeps, you know, that, that more and more doctors are going back to in person. So they're, they're having checkups, particularly for people living with diabetes. So hopefully that trend continues. Hopefully that trend will continue. One other little tidbit was that my mom will love now being at home and being able to to do her patient visits at home mm. <laughs> over Zoom because not only is she able to be at home and not have to go into work, but the patients can actually take care of, uh, actually get their appointments and not have to yes. worry about parking and yes. driving. Absolutely. It's and if they're, uh, if they're a little bit more mobility restricted, but also just not all the waiting. And the other thing that my dietitian, I, you know, my family doctor is my primary caregiver, but I, but I also have a dietitian. And one of the things she was telling me is 
that it's actually been very useful for them to do Zoom because they can actually um, have their patients take the computer, or take the phone and actually open the fridge or the cupboards and say, well, is this good? What about this food? I, I want this brand. Cause you know, when you often go into dietitian, they'll have like the uh, rubber food there that they talk to you about the kind of fake food. And she said, it's been really helpful for it to be almost real time with people. Like here's the kind of pasta I bought, or here's the kind of fruit and vegetable. And they can actually really see how the patient lives and how, what kind of food is going in. So it's, it's much more real time. They also have noticed, you know, that's noticed more people, you know, with food insecurity. And so being able to make more specific recommendations that, um, you, you know, are cost effective and also, um, you know, uh, refer the patients for other kinds of social support that they wouldn't have seen how bare the cupboard was when the patient comes into the office. But now that they're seeing the patient at home, they can experience a little bit more the whole patient and what they're, um, you know, what what they're dealing with. So if the dietitian says, "Well, just eat more fruits and vegetables," if that's actually not financially possible, yeah, and the dietitian can actually a make sure the person understands all the programs that are available, but also can. Um, try to find alternate suggestions that doesn't again go back to the patient feeling guilty like well I know I'm supposed to do that but I can't afford it and and I'm embarrassed to say that and it's like no now they can so it's interesting COVID's had some really interesting yeah Uh, you know going virtually I I think in some ways has been very good as your mom's experiencing and and also can't replace and I I hope we're going to end up with sort of a hybrid model yes hopefully the hybrid model. My mom also sees that with the cost because a lot of her patients seeing with their medications, like it's sometimes cost prohibitive. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, no, no. And we are constantly, one of the things at Diabetes Canada that we're um, constantly doing is working with governments at a provincial, territorial and federal level around coverage and um, the costs of, you know, so are glucose monitors covered? What are the costs of certain prescription drugs? Because you, um, you certainly want to have people who live with diabetes be able to, you know, if there's great treatments that great, but if you can't access it, then what good is it, right? And so part of, um, we spend um, a lot of time and energy on uh, being the voice of people living with diabetes to governments and talking to them about what are the new treatments and, and what sort of coverage, because of course governments have to be careful with costs, of course they do. And so part of our job is to really do an analysis of what does the research say? What really is going to make a difference for people with diabetes? Because again, if you can prevent those complications I talked about, Allison, later on, if you can prevent those, we can make a strong argument to government that you're actually saving money by keeping people with diabetes healthier up front, then you're not paying for the heart attacks and the stroke and the kidney failure and the dialysis. And so um, we've had some good success in trying to increase uh, coverage and access to um, things that might be cost prohibitive if you had to pay for them privately. That's a big thing. And especially with the glucose monitors, she, my mom particularly likes the 
freestyle leg raise because mm. the freestyles the, it's newer technology a which is great and b it's not as expensive as many of the other brands yeah which and and for us what what we always say is that it's really important that um, someone living with diabetes talks to someone like your mom about what are the options out there and what might be the best one for me given my circumstance and and um you know very experienced healthcare professionals like your mom will have a good sense of that and um the person living with diabetes should because those are always individual decisions right what's yeah. covered what's best for you what are your needs how progressed is your diabetes you know are you type one type two all of these things and so it's really the best thing to do um, is always have that discussion with your healthcare provider of, well, what's out there and um, and what might be right for me. And um, healthcare providers are, are most always well equipped to have that discussion. Which is nice. And because my mom has been experienced and so well equipped, she was named the 2020 Diabetes Canada Diabetes uh, educator of the year oh my goodness congratulations to your mom that's wonderful Thank I did not you. know that Allison those yeah. are those are um she was in stiff competition because there those uh there's many diabetes educators across the country so for her to get nominated she must be and win she must be quite special she is and and she's a force to be reckoned with <laughs> in a good way in a good way <laughs> that's great really funny how how she can be a force to be reckoned with but her patients get better care because of that exactly yes i mean that kind of um passion and that kind of commitment but also sort of being an advocate for your patients really going to the mat for people who are under your care uh, when you run into healthcare providers like that you want to stick with them and and i have found in diabetes um, there's really very many of them i think because it's a chronic disease and people literally you know have to battle and live for decades well and your mom would have seen this in your brother right and yeah. it, it's it's never going to end it's 24 7 365 right and so i find the healthcare professionals that come into diabetes really also get that same sense of intensity and um passion and dedication and it's it's amazing uh, you know as someone who works at the not-for-profit it's um i'm i'm just blown away by the uh the way that healthcare professionals and people living with diabetes will go and above and beyond for others in the community and uh, it's it's so encouraging it is it's being able to have people in the community who will go to bat for others and in the community is like no other yes absolutely absolutely well that's what? uh what a small world allison that's so um nice to know that about your mom yeah once you know so i i definitely hear it all the time at home since COVID, how, what to do with all of the new technology and ratios for food groups and insulin and the whole nine yards. And by the end of each conversation, I'm 
yelling in the kitchen to the poor patient on on Zoom. <laughs> it's this answer. It's this answer. <laughs> you're, you're you're getting your um your training by proxy there. Yes. <laughs> That's amazing. That's really it's, good. Well, it sounds like you're also a passionate advocate, which I try to be. Yes. Yes. I go, is this ratio? <laughs> is this ratio for carbs? And my mom goes, shush, shush. <laughs> Just get out of the picture. I don't need to hear. They need to learn. They and need they, to learn. And she does the, the hand wave. Get out of the way. Yep. I I hear you. I often do that with my kids when they're asking for something in the background and in this case though they're they're not shouting with what is probably solid medical advice from you but 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 i i think you know all joking aside i think again this this sense of learning to manage your disease yourself so that you can live your best life i mean you you need your healthcare provider you need your dietitian your certified diabetes educator your family doctor endocrinologist whoever you know your nurse practitioner you know whoever it is but also it's about learning yourself what is it to live with your diabetes and what are your particular you know do you do you feel like you live with more stigma because of the way you come at it are you particularly having issues with certain consequences and how do you um kind of empower yourself and so your mom's right is people have to you know people like myself who live with it have to really learn because we live in this body all day long and it's our body and we 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 you know you see the healthcare provider every once in a while you live in your own body 24 7 so so you have to sort of be your your own best advocate and and learn as much about your disease as possible one other question before finding out how to get in contact with diabetes canada what would you like to see in the future for people with diabetes to advocate for themselves especially around world diabetes day mm -hmm. so i i think it's a great question allison and what I'd like to see is that every person either with diabetes, like myself and your family members, or people who don't have diabetes, to take some sort of action around it. And, and especially in November during Diabetes Awareness Month and yesterday being World Diabetes Day, because it's actually sort of the apathy and the inaction that's causing us not to really look this in the eye and address it so um would really so whether that's as someone living with diabetes what action can i take well um you know if i'm wrestling with stigma can i talk to a family member about how it's hard to live with diabetes if i've been struggling to stay on my medication can i make an appointment with my doctor or healthcare provider to talk about why that is and see if there are options if i don't have diabetes can i learn more about it can I ask friends and family who maybe have it but haven't wanted to talk about it? So take an action. And in particular, what we're saying this November, since it's the 100th anniversary of the discovery of insulin in 2021, is we're trying by the end of November, so we're about halfway in, we're trying to get Canadians to take 100,000 actions. And so each individual action 
if you could go on the website at diabetes.ca slash take action. So it's just really simple, take action and post on there, take a picture of what you've done. If it's a conversation, if it's learning something new online, if it's booking your doctor's appointment, take a picture, upload it there and give a little story. And we're looking for to have about a hundred thousand of those actions, because really what we know is governments will listen if people take action. Um, people with diabetes will feel like they're getting more support if it's more in the mainstream conversation. Um, if uh, people with diabetes are having more conversations with their healthcare providers or their families, all of this will improve the lives of people with diabetes. So each individual action together can have collective impact. And that's really what we're trying to have happen is really get a collective impact and really try to focus it this November. So that's that's our ask. I'd love you to do it too, Allison, to go on diabetes.ca slash take action and um, you know, upload a photo of what what are you doing this November to take action? Like having this conversation with me, you know, yeah. is is an action and putting it on podcast is an action. And we're all these little photos, we're making a big mural that where each photo is almost like a piece of the puzzle and it's going to be a hundred thousand little picture puzzle. And um, so we, I encourage people to go on to diabetes.ca slash take action and look at where we are with the mural and take an action because it will change a life. How can the listener find out more about diabetes, especially in Canada? So we have so much information on our website. The easiest way is to go on our website just you can google diabetes canada or you can put in diabetes.ca um, and you will go to our website and there's lots so if you're interested in what's the latest in research if you've just been newly diagnosed you can look up patient education if you know someone whose child's been diagnosed and you're interested in the camp program i talked about if you want to make a donation we, you can click on that. So there's all, if you're a healthcare professional and you're listening to this and you want to find more about our clinical practice guidelines for healthcare practitioners, they're on there as well. So diabetes.ca is your go-to place. And then depending on who you are and what you're looking for, you'll find everything there. Are you, is Diabetes Canada on so, social media? Yes, we're on uh, Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we have a YouTube channel where we have a lot of really great, um, especially during COVID, we obviously did a lot more education digitally. So we have an Ask the Expert series. We have um, one called How to T1D. So how to do different, like how to live with T1D, how to... Um, think about transitions all this sort of stuff so um so you can check out our youtube channel um all of those things if you just put in twitter diabetes canada or in facebook or uh, in instagram we're we're all and we always have changing content the latest research or uh, the story of someone living with it or a new way to connect with your fellow folks living with diabetes where and obviously yesterday on world diabetes day lots of um blue is the color for diabetes so lots of blue stuff and we had a live event from Banting's house Banting made his discovery at a house he owned in London Ontario which Diabetes Canada now owns that house so we were all in London last night celebrating what would have been his 130th birthday <laughs> um, and the 100th anniversary of the discovery of insulin last night that's amazing that's yes. just, thank you so much for doing this with me 
You're most welcome, Allison. It was my real pleasure to speak with you and you're very knowledgeable, which is lovely to um, hear. And I'm, I'm so glad that you're helping to put a focus on this because um, you will really make a difference in people's lives. So thank you. So don't go anywhere. There will be more on The Self Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM. An idea worth stealing. Vancouver's original community radio station since 1975. You're listening to The Self Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM in Vancouver on the unceded territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Facebook at Allison Mira Klein and on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. There are two very, very important disability inclusion days, months, happening in November. The first one is the World Diabetes Day, which we just talked about with Laura. Coming up, I'm going to be talking with Neil Belanger, who's the Chief Executive Officer of the British Columbia Assembly for the First Nations Disability Society, BCANS for short, because November is all about the highlighting the skills and accomplishments of the First Nations across Canada who have disabilities. And BCANS started this revolution, which is totally incredible to be able to talk about this. And so very, very important, especially now, talking about First Nations and First Nations peoples across Canada who have disabilities. Thank you so much, Neil, for being on my show. Well, thank you for having me, Alice. First off, what was the inspiration for making November, and especially November, as for highlighting uh, First Nation peoples across Canada with disabilities? Well, Alison, before I begin, I'd just like to take the time to acknowledge that I'm calling in today from the traditional territories of the Esquimalt and Songhees peoples here on uh, Vancouver Island. Um, yeah, so um, uh, we created uh, Indigenous Disability Awareness Month in uh, 2015, and this year marks our seventh anniversary. And so our organization, actually, it's our anniversary this year as well, our 30th anniversary. Um, and uh, throughout uh, our time working here, we've really, you know, oh, sorry, um, throughout the years, we've, uh, we, you know, with the work that we do, we really noticed that Indigenous disability uh, wasn't a very high high priority um, in Canada, and and a very under understood um, uh, area of work and and, and uh, peoples, um, not only you know within British Columbia but across Canada within many of our communities and within the broader disability community as well. So we decided as an organization to start to do something to to first celebrate 
Indigenous peoples across Canada, and that's First Nations, Métis, and Inuit, um, living with disabilities and the overwhelming contributions that they bring to each of our communities every day. And also to highlight uh, many of the barriers that they face and raise awareness so that, that the general population has a better understanding of some of the circumstances that Indigenous peoples living with disabilities face and to raise the priority across Canada. And that's why we created it. And we selected November uh, because it's the month leading up to December 3rd, International Day of Persons with Disabilities. Uh, and we thought this would be a good um, uh, uh, month to have it in uh, leading up to that, to that uh, uh, globally recognized day. That is interesting and so pertinent for everybody who has a disability to look at December 3rd for the International Day for Persons with Disabilities, IDPWD for short. And I always thought of the National Indigenous Day, which is in June, mm -hmm. uh, June 21st. So thinking of November probably makes sense now. And to look at Indigenous peoples across Canada, not only in June, but all year round. And having that in November, it makes me think of that. Yeah, we think it was a good month. And, and as far as we know, Indigenous Disability Awareness Month is the only Indigenous disability specific um, initiative uh, awareness month anywhere in the world. So, so it's really good uh, that it's come from BC and it's, and it's really good that it's in Canada. And, um, and yeah, yeah, we're quite proud of it and uh, quite proud of how it's progressed over the years. And I also thought of the intersectionality of not only being First Nations, but also having the disability mixed in as well. And I've heard that a lot of the disability justice and advocacy, there's a lot of complaints of it being so white and having BCAMs highlighting and pushing for disability justice and advocacy that's not white and colonial is huge. It's, well, certainly, you know, really raising the, the awareness and priority of Indigenous discipline in Canada, but also the, the month is also designed to break down some barriers though, um, because, because like we said, Indigenous disability is not a very high priority. Uh, within governments and, and communities, and, and again, the broader disability community. And it's often because of a lack of awareness. Um, it's, you know, sometimes we think it's because uh, uh, organizations and people may be, you know, uh, reluctant to reach out to Indigenous, uh, you know, communities and organizations like ourselves uh, for a number of reasons. They're, they're, they're worried about, worried about the, the protocol of how doing it. Uh, you know, sometimes jurisdictional issues are there. They don't believe it's part of their mandate. So there's a number of reasons why, why um, the lack of priority has been there. And, and, and hopefully, you know, part of the, the purpose of that of the month, you know, uh, will be to break down some of those barriers as well and sort of uh, start having more collaborations and more partnerships and more understanding of Indigenous disability, you know, by non-Indigenous communities and organizations. That's a big thing. And I also thought there's a law that was passed federally for children that was passed not too long ago. And I remember hearing and 
how difficult to get it passed and not only get it passed, but it's even though it's still it's passed today, people are still fighting for that because as you said, it's not high priority in the federal government. I, I think I think I think what you're talking about is the is is Jordan's principle and indigenous children across Canada and and um, the the lack of uh, and inequitable services have, that have been provided to them um, over the years, and so of course, uh, uh, Cindy Blackstock um, and the Caring for First Nations uh, Children Society took the government to task, the federal government, and it went to uh, appeal at the uh, Canadian Human Rights Commission uh, or committee, and they agreed uh, with the ruling in the court saying that children have to be compensated. And, and right now the government is examining that, and and and, and I'm not an expert in this area, uh, you know, on any level right now. But it, but uh, it looks like they're they're challenging it, the, the the ruling of the committee, but not really challenging it. And, and the last we've seen is that they're going to be hopefully working with uh, with communities to get this resolved. But the challenge has been there for a long time, and there has been no uh, no um, real movement forward. So I mean, those things you know, happen all the time. And we see these things going on and, and hopefully it will move forward and the Indigenous children will, will get the compensation and families that they deserve. Yes, that was the, exactly the one that I was thinking of, Jordan's principle. And it was be, all because I went to a conference, an online conference with the BC Ed Access and they highlighted Jordan's principle. I found it fascinating and fascinating and considering that I tried to have my ear to the floor to listen to everything, I was surprised that I hadn't heard about this before and kind of saddened that, that I hadn't heard about it before. It's good that there's now a lot more awareness to talk about these kinds of things. No, and I'm just going to say, you know, Cindy Blackstock has been a, you know, overwhelming power and support and, and movement for the children so i mean and she's still there so that's great that's fantastic have more awareness what have you been able to see since starting the disability for inclusion month first nations what have you been able to see that's positive or growth in canada since the start of of this seven years ago well, so uh, Allison, we you know when we we first started, it started off a little bit slow. You know, we had to you know work with uh, you know governments across Canada and here in BC to get them to officially you know recognize the month and proclaim it. And and so when we did it, of course, British Columbia was the first month to do it, and we worked with the, with the government at the time to make sure it happened, and it did. Um, we also had here in BC back in 2015 the uh, BC First Nations Summit. They declared the month as well, as well as the uh, BC uh, uh, or Métis Nation BC. So they also declared the month. And then we, we worked on that over the years. And of course, we spent more time, you know, in some years than others, just because of the work that we do and, and you know, how busy that our team is here. Um, so we, keep, we kept on, you know, working with governments uh, and, and sending out, you know, letters and meeting and discussing, you know, the importance of Indigenous disability, the importance of raising awareness. Um, and then the, we saw in 2016, the government of Saskatchewan declared the month. So we worked with them and, and they declared the month as well. The, the National Assembly of First Nations, uh, based out of Ottawa, they declared the month. 
the Council of Yukon First Nations, they then declared the month. And we keep going. And every year we see new organizations and communities declaring the month. Um, this year, uh, the province of Manitoba declared the month for its first time, uh, as well as um, six capital cities across Canada. So we have Victoria here in BC has declared the month. We have Regina, Saskatchewan declaring the month. Uh, St. John's declared the month. Um, uh, Halifax declared the month, Fredericton and uh, Canada's capital city, Ottawa declared the month this year. So it's really been taken off. And then also, um, you know, uh, and we try to post as many as we can, but we've had, you know, numerous different organizations that have uh, proclaimed the month and sent us proclamations. So it's been re really good. And I'm, and I'm very proud to say, Allison, that this year, uh, uh, Indigenous Disability Awareness Month has truly become a international initiative because we had the Kapomari Entra, uh, New Zealand's oldest uh, Indigenous disability organization that served the blind community, actually declare the month as well. So now we have it uh, being an international initiative. And we also have interest from, from a couple of communities in Australia, uh, which of course, New Zealand and Australia um, uh, have a, a significant population of uh, Indigenous peoples. So we're quite proud of that. Um, we'll continue to work with the other provinces and territories in Canada to get them to hopefully come on board and recognize the month. And one thing I didn't note is that back in 2017, the United Nations recommended to Canada that, that they recognize the month nationally every year as well. So that's one of the goals we're working for right now is to get Canada to recognize the month every year nationally that raise, help raise that awareness and, and then hopefully uh, see more resources going towards uh, Indigenous peoples living with disabilities in Canada. That's amazing to be able to not only see different provinces and the territories recognizing this and the, the capital cities, but also having the United Nations, New Zealand, and Australia coming on board. Yeah, it's been quite exciting. You know, it's been very good. I, I mean, and this year and last year too, uh, the Prime Minister uh, did a, you know, a video talking about Indigenous disability, recognizing the month and talking a little bit about us. We've seen, uh, you know, and if, if you go to our, our Twitter page, you know, we have very uh, various notable people and organizations supporting it. We, we sent out uh, different promotional materials, a shirt this year. Um, you know, we have Dr. David Suzuki, uh, you know, promoting it for us. We have uh, Buffy St. Marie, of course, uh, Academy Award winning uh, Indigenous um, artist, uh, Graham Marine, uh, another Indigenous uh, actor here, um, and numerous, uh, you know, different, uh, you know, CEOs, senators, you know, politicians, governor generals across Canada really stepping up and saying, look, this is an important area that we have to recognize. We're going to help promote it and raise awareness of it and celebrate Indigenous people living with disabilities and the contributions that they bring. So it's it's exciting to see. And, uh, you know, we just keep moving forward. Buffy St. Marie, she's one of my favorite uh, artists, especially because I do like folk music. So being able to see that and hear from her talking about that. Yeah, she and, did a really nice video for us and, and, and was wearing our, our shirt and our toque and held up our card. She's you know, very, very nice lady. And with that, 
thought of Buffy St. Marie making a video and wearing swag from Beacons. Let's go to a quick break. Vancouver Co-op Radio, CFRO 100.5 FM, an idea worth stealing. Vancouver's original community radio station since 1975. You're listening to The Self-Advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Facebook at Allison Mira Klein and on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. Right now, I'm talking with Neil Belanger, who is the chief executive officer of BCANS, which is an organization that supports people, Indigenous peoples in British Columbia who have disabilities. It's a really important organization to follow for anybody who is sick and tired of the colonial white disability justice and activism. We talked about the highlights of the inclusion month for Indigenous peoples with disabilities in November. What are some of the more difficult parts of connecting people together to highlight November? Well, we're still working. So, I mean, uh, it's an ongoing awareness campaign, right? And so, um, you know, a lot of the interest that we get um, uh, without reaching out, you know, comes from the disability community and disability organizations, uh, which is great, you know, Indigenous communities, uh, you know. um, But we really want to reach out because, you know, everyone in Canada, every organization here, every province, every territory, every city has a stake in disability. Uh, You know, sometimes we see you know, individuals or organizations that don't work within the disability sector or work um, within um, Indigenous communities in the, in the Indigenous sector, they don't see the linkage there, but we all have a linkage. And, and really, disability in Canada and around the world, Indigenous disability is everybody's business. And we really want, you know, those non-traditional organizations to step up and, and show support as well. You know, help raise awareness, but also learn, right? So that, that will open more opportunities to the people that we serve. You know, whether that be employment or, or better access to services, you know, starting to, to eliminate anti-Indigenous racism, uh, disability discrimination, all those things that we would, you know, envision uh, a, a well-run, proper country to be. Um, you know, we'd like to see that kind of stuff. So we'd like to see a broader, a broader um, uptake uh, in recognition of Indigenous disability a month not just within the health or disability or indigenous sectors, but you know, across all sectors and by a lot more organizations, because like I said, we all have uh, a stake in this and we all should have an interest. I believe in that as well, that we all need to take an interest because we all have a stake in this. Absolutely. And, and, and sometimes that's one of the barriers that, that to, you know, organizations or, or communities or peoples don't see that linkage and, and they think well it's it's not something that involves me so I'm not going to get involved and you know if we think like that then I, I would shudder to think if anything would happen we all have an interest in, particularly for 
for any person living with a disability in Canada, you know, and, and ensuring their, their, their ability to thrive in whatever community they're in. And, and that doesn't happen now. And, you know, so part of it as well is to, you know, raise awareness, but, but make a better day for all persons living with a disability. Um, because it's a right of everybody to be able to thrive in the community that they live in, be part of that community, be included, and, and not to have to experience, you know, the barriers that we see today. So I also see it as if one thing is affected and one person is affected, everyone is affected, all very interconnected. What do you hope in the future for Indigenous peoples? not only in Canada, but around the world who have disabilities, what do you hope to see with their lives? Well, I, you know, with Adam, we of course, we want to see it come here nationally and then internationally. And then eventually, if we get enough member states, have the UN declare it. But I mean, the overall goal is to break down those barriers, to make, you know, Canada and other countries more inclusive for Indigenous peoples living with the disabilities, um, you know, employment opportunities, housing, you know, making sure that communities are fully accessible so that you can be included in all activities, all the things that is a right of us all that we don't see right now. You know, within Canada, Allison, you know, from a 2006, 16 um, Stats Canada report, 80% of the First Nations communities in Canada had a medium income under the poverty line. So, you know, those are things we have to change, you know. Uh, better technology, access to clean water, access to safe and affordable housing, um, the ability to go and get a job with no, no, uh, you know, restrictions on there. That you know, buildings and attitudes do not create barriers. I mean, things that we would think should be a natural thing that should just happen, but we know they don't. And we know that anti-indigenous uh, racism is very prevalent. We, we saw the in plain sight report done here in BC within the healthcare system, but that permeates into other systems as well. And unfortunately into other organizations, not all organizations, but, but too many. And we have to do something about that. And that's by you know, hiring indigenous peoples, living with disabilities, employees, you know, in management positions, leadership positions, and, and you know, help educate and, 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 and demonstrate uh, the, the remarkable uh, gifts that they bring. You know, and rather than being, you know, afraid or or having preconceived notions or or experiencing discrimination and racism, we got to break down those barriers. That is so important to break down the barriers for everyone, and and especially for Indigenous peoples across Canada. One last question: What's one piece of advice you would give to an Indigenous person in Canada or around the world? who has a disability, who wants to become a self-advocate. When we do it, because you have the ability, you have the knowledge and you have the expertise, right? So become involved in whatever community organization you might be affiliated with and start moving forward disability rights where you live, you know, and find allies, right? There, there, there are a lot of allies out there and it's a matter of connecting. And sometimes that takes time for sure, uh, particularly if you're dealing with a bunch of other priorities. So be patient, don't lose hope, don't be frustrated, and contact organizations like us and you know people like you, Alice, and, and other organizations say, look, I want to do more and I want to move forward. How can I? That is so important to do it and find allies and find communities like BCAMS 
get in touch and go for it. How can the listener find BCANS? So we are, uh, we have a website that we use for Facebook. We're having trouble with right now, but our website uh, with information on our programs and services is at www.bcans.bc.ca. Or you can see us on Twitter. We have multiple Twitter accounts, but our, our main account is at BCANS1. So at B-C-A-N-D-S and the number one. And yeah, uh, check us out, see what we do. We do a lot of work uh, here in British Columbia and across Canada. And, and um, you know, we're, uh, we're out there and we're, we're kind of a silly organization. We're professional, but we're, we're very friendly and uh, kind of goofy sometimes, but uh, we're always looking for new contacts and new friends. Thank you so much, Neil, for, for joining me and talking to me and teaching me about cans and about why November and the Indigenous Inclusion and Awareness Disability Month is so important in Canada and around the world. Oh, and thank you, Allison. I mean, allowing this opportunity for us to meet and speak, you know, is part of what uh, Indigenous Disability Awareness Month is. It's raising awareness and, and, and uh, having other people become aware. And they're going to tell some people and, and uh, it'll get bigger and bigger and better. And, and uh, so you're a big part of that now as well. This has been the self-advocate on CFRO Co-op Radio 100.5 FM with your host, Allison Klein. You can find me on Facebook at Allison Mira Klein and on Instagram and Twitter at Allison Mira. If you missed any part of the show or want to listen to it again, you can find it podcasted on anchor.fm or wherever you find your podcasts. To end out this show, I am going to play a different song than I usually do. I am going to play Paradise by Matt Mack. Matt Mack is an Indigenous person who is from the OG Cree nations. He's from uh, what we colonially know as Winnipeg, Manitoba, and he was born without eyes. He was, he is blind and he is indigenous to Canada. Enjoy this song and enjoy more programming, everyone. Never waste this Want you to know that I'm
wake up, I can't believe my eyes. I feel alive, the deepest of my dreams are alive. I will take your lead, I just wanna take some time. Just take my time. When I'm with you, I'm in paradise, paradise. I saw my eyes are paralyzed, paralyzed. Cause with you, I'm in paradise, paradise. And trust me, that is very fine, very fine. You still live without a care life, care life. And now I am in paradise, paradise. I'll hold you down, I swear I'll try, swear I'll try. I just wanna share the night, share the night with you. I 